1: Trigger warning, the following episode contains descriptions of graphic violence and adult language. Viewer discretion is advised. I'm Danielle. I'm Max. And each Wednesday, we crack open a bottle of wine and dive into some thrills, chills, and spills. This is Innocent Till Tipsy. Hello, everyone. We're a hot mess this week. (laughs) I am still not home. I'm still on the road. And Max, what's going on with you? (laughs) Girl, I had LASIK, and I'm an avatar this week. Amazing. So if you're watching us on YouTube, you're watching an avatar and me, and I'm the only one drinking. So this will be fun. Also, my lighting is just absolute gar- <laughs> garbage today. So it's just a scary time. Um, but it's fine. Everything's fine. Um, so I wanted to give like a quick recap to what we've been doing. Um, this will be the Speedy Gonzalez version of this. There, It's... It's too much. You got to go back and watch part one and part two. Um, I don't think anyone can do this case in one part. Every other podcast I've seen, it's all multiple parts. Um, But I did head to West Memphis last week for um, the hearing. So we're definitely going to talk about that um, this uh, episode because this is still a very current case. And we're also going to talk about um, uh, the, the other suspects in this case. So before I get into that, let me just recap this for you. Um, So, on the night of a full moon in West Memphis, Arkansas, in 1993, three little boys went missing. Their bodies would be found the following day in a rain-soaked ditch, badly beaten, with cuts, bite marks, and tied by their own shoelaces. Because of the way that the bodies of Michael Moore, Christopher Byers, and Stevie Branch had been found naked and tied, the injuries were assumed by the West Memphis police to be part of a cult activity, possibly, So they asked the local occult expert, it's just crazy that that was a thing, Jerry Driver, a parole officer for a list of all of his parolees that he thought um, could possibly be related to this crime, and as we've said in all the other parts at the top of his list was 18-year-old Damien Eccles. We went through Damien's issue with the law um, in part one, um, but they soon put their focus on Damien's best friend, Jason, who was 16 at the time, and also their mutual acquaintance, Jesse Miss Kelly, who was 17. Um, Jesse had an IQ of about 75, and according to someone who would later evaluate him, he had the reasoning capabilities of someone that was six to seven years old. So the police brought him in for a over 12-hour long interrogation on June 3rd, 1993. And he thought he would go home by the end of it and he would not leave prison for over 18 years. And that would be enough reason for them to um, arrest uh, Damien
0: and Jason that day as well. After- and he's the one they thought, uh, they I think you said they said to him that he would get part of the reward money if he helped out, right? Like he yeah.
1: helped If you help, they'll get you that $35,000 reward money, um, get your dad a new car, uh, like Mm -hmm. really unfortunate. And then the police officer didn't remember saying any of that. So there was a lot that was done there. Also, only 45 minutes of his interrogation was recorded. The rest of it, (laughs) like, I I don't know where it went. Um, And then it was also leaked to the public. So how are you supposed to find a fair jury in that area? And it was tried in that area. So. Um, his confession was also marred with flaws, timing of the crime, the murder weapon. He, he, even what he said sexually happened to the boys, there was no physical sign of rape of these three little boys. And, and he said that they'd all been sodomized. Um, this confession for whatever reason was enough to condemn them. And even though it wasn't allowed into Jason and Damien's trial, their trials in of itself, we went through it the last episode were crazy um there was high school girls telephone confessions the police had to go through these girls so-and-so said so, said this about damien i mean there was rumors oh, that the softball girls uh, the, There was like a lot of groups a lot of like he said she said a lot of rumors in this case um, even body parts being found in people's houses was a rumor at, at one point in time which just was not true there was juror misconduct there was an occult expert that didn't even have like He had a mail order decree. Um, It was a circus. Like, if you thought the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial was a circus, this this is equal value, I would dare say. Um, In the end, Jesse and Jason were sentenced to life while Damien was sentenced to death every appeal that they would make for the next few years would be denied by the same judge that upheld their sentence. But a fire was starting thanks to an HBO documentary that would be released in 1996 called paradise lost. Have you ever watched paradise lost max?
0: No, but it's on HBO max. I think. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So as always, as we always say, when it comes to these cases, um, Look for yourself at evidence. I mean, this is a public case, so you can always um, find uh, the actual court documents, the actual testimonials of people um, online. Very easy to do. Uh, However, Paradise Lost definitely has a narrative, and it was definitely not my only source for this, Um, but it did give the public a peek inside the courtroom and what was happening in West Memphis, Arkansas, and the public was not impressed. A movement began called Free the West Memphis Three. It was a controversial movement at first. It did have many celebrity-led fundraisers that made it possible for the West Memphis Three defense to secure money to rerun DNA evidence in this case. The likes of Eddie Vedder, Pearl Jam, Johnny Depp, and Natalie Maines of the Dixie Chicks became main figureheads trying to get the freedom of Damien, Jason, and Jesse. Now, the DNA evidence would be run in 2007, and there would be hairs that would be found Um, linking not to any of the boys that were convicted. In fact, there was no DNA evidence that linked Damien, Jesse, or Jason to this crime whatsoever. However, it did link one of the stepfathers, Terry Hobbs, and his friend, David Jacoby.
0: Right. And And what was the, what was the evidence that linked him? It was like some of the ligatures or
1: something, right? Yeah. So it wasn't just like, like these hairs were found in the knots of the ligatures of the, of the shoelaces, the boys' shoelaces that tied Mm -hmm. them. Crazy. Um, So if you disregard the state's satanic cult killing, like if you take that story and you just put it on the back burner for a second, things start to seem less, I don't want to say evil, because obviously the killing of three little boys is evil, but a little, bit, a lot more straightforward. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. I mean, um, if you look at it with the perspective of today, because mm-hmm. yes, there is satanic panic. We have already talked about that. Like it's in Stranger Things even. like. But we also understand that it was like hysteria at that time too. So like if you remove the hysteria from it and look at it with more objective eyes, I guess, it does seem a little more straightforward that Terry Hobbs... Um, like there's DNA evidence and hair fibers and things that are found at the crime scene. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to dive into him a little bit today, I think too. Yeah, we are. So, um, I do want to make note right here, right
1: now. Um, these are real people. This was Mm -hmm. a real crime that happened. Mm -hmm. We don't want to do to anyone what was done to Damien, Jesse, or Jason. Um, however, we will be talking about just the hard facts of this and, um, kind of what happened. But at this point, now remember, like this DNA evidence is found in 2007. They're still in prison. Um, So they have not been released yet. And this evidence being brought in to bring a fair trial, which is what the defense team was trying to do, was fought hard by the judge presiding over the case. Um, They even argued to the Supreme Court of Arkansas that if you try to retry the guilt of every trial, how absurd it would be. Like, yeah. as if this isn't new evidence, like being brought in. Um, and they still had this judge, Judge David Barnett, to contend or Burnett to contend with. So he would he wouldn't step down. I guess he stepped up until he was elected to Arkansas Arkansas Senate. And he was replaced by Judge David Laser in 2010. So these guys are still in prison. Even with the DNA evidence, they're still in prison. And it wouldn't be until 2010 that the ball would start rolling to allow for new evidence to be heard for an appeal. However, time was running out for Damien, who was sitting on death row still. So his lawyer actually took his case in 2009 pro bono. Um, and he had been working on negotiations to start the plea agreement that they have now. So under this deal, we kind of talked about it, I think, in part one and maybe a little bit in part two. Um, but Judge laser vacated all previous convictions, um, for the boys and ordered a new trial where each man entered an Al Ford plea for lesser charges of first and second degree w- murder while not admitting any criminal involvement and verbally maintain their innocence. So they're saying they're pleading guilty, but maintaining their
0: innocence. Yeah, this takes total. Go ahead. I was just going to say, we've talked about that before. It's like a legal strategy. It's so that you can strike a plea deal.
1: Yeah. And um, it's something Damien's argued, too, is it takes total blame off the state. So the state didn't have to pay them anything, you know, or admit any wrongdoing in this case, because they, you know, every each side kind of comes to a. Stalemate, I guess. Yeah. The
0: state doesn't have to prove it, basically.
1: Yeah. Um, the judge then sentenced them to time served, which at that point was 18 years and 78 days Whoa. on no DNA evidence. Yeah. It's awful.
0: It's insane. Aud-
1: yes. And oddly enough, in order to get one
0: out of prison, all three of them had to take it like, take this plea deal. Um, really? Yeah, and Jason, That's strange because they weren't even tried together. I mean, uh, Damien wasn't mm-hmm. tried with the others. Yeah, yeah. Damien and, and Jesse, well, Jesse wasn't tried with them. Damien and
1: Jason. Were oh, tried sorry. Together. Yeah. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jason didn't want to take it. Um, He wanted a new trial. I mean, the only thing linking him was um, Jesse's botched confession that he gave police after they had shown him that photo of one of the boys. Um, I think yeah. it was Christopher Byers who had been beaten so badly. Um, but he said that he felt he had to in order to save Damien's life off of death row. So since they've taken this deal, Damien has vowed to not only exonerate himself, but to also find the real killer or killers of Michael Moore, Stevie Branch and Christopher Byers. But it's like every time he tries to put something into motion, he hits a roadblock. It's the most ridiculous thing. So I was looking at a lot of the stuff that he's done since he's been released because they've been released for almost a decade now um, or a little over a decade now. Um, So he was told that most of the evidence had been lost and burned, which we talked about in the last part. But he filed a FOIA, a Freedom of Information Act, and it went unanswered. And he had to file a lawsuit against the West Memphis Police Department. They wouldn't it's release it to in Arkansas. Yeah, it's illegal. What they were—they're withholding evidence. It's illegal to do in what and what um in Arkansas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then they find out that no, not all the evidence is lost, mm. which is why we had this <laughs> DNA hearing last week. I right. know. <sighs> it's ridiculous. Um. So when Damien and Jason attended, so. Since this has all happened, Damien has moved to New Orleans. Um, Jason is now in Austin, and uh, I don't know where Jesse is. I heard he doesn't live too far away from where he was arrested, actually, still. Um, but Jesse kind of keeps a low profile, So, and he wasn't there um, when I went. But last week, I went to West Memphis, um, and it was really weird. So we pulled up to the courthouse, and all the streets were blocked by the police, and there was a huge police presence there. And so I kind of had to – I knew I couldn't pull over and ask them just from their demeanor Mm -hmm. uh, where I needed to go because Damien had asked for more people to show up because, as he said, the only reason he's alive right now is because people cared after that documentary came out from HBO, right? Right. So he wanted more people to show up. So then I pull up, and I see where I can park at the actual courthouse. I park my car, and all of a sudden, an officer comes up and asks me to get out of my car. (laughs) I know. That's crazy. So I get out of my car, and they're like, ma'am, you need to go over to the sidewalk, or across the street, you cannot be on, like, the court premises. So there was hundreds of us and on it's the It's a public sidewalk. court
0: hearing, isn't it?
1: That's what I thought. So it's very confusing. So I asked one of the guys that was there with Jason. I asked him about it because we all kind of got to talk a little bit after. Damien left very quickly after, but I did get to talk to Jason a bit and um, to one of his friends that was there with him. And I believe he used to be legal counsel for him too. And I was speaking with him, and he said that they were still social distancing the courtroom. However, Damien has started releasing stuff. So I just want to let you know before I read Damien's Twitter, kind of what happened. Um, Mara, who wrote the book that I've been reading, Devil's Not, about this case, she came out, she actually been housing Jason. Um, (laughs) because Jason had to drive up from Austin, (laughs) but but she came out and she's like, do you guys want to know what happened? Or like, yeah, Yeah. what what happened? So she said that basically what the judge said was because of the state laws, her hands are tied right now. Um, basically because Damien is not in custody, there's no reason for them to rerun the evidence as Arkansas law sees it. So he, they're just not going to do it. However, let me pull up Damien's Twitter because Damien has said something a little different because the guy that was with Jason had told me he was like, "There's still um, social distancing the courtroom. But it didn't. I don't know. And the way that the West Memphis police were. And I mean, in Arkansas, we're in the South. Come on. But also the West Memphis police were very um, they didn't want us there. Like, let's just be
0: real. Um, right. They didn't want it to be a spectacle, too, I'm sure. But like they yeah, it's strange that you were on. You were told to move like even from parking out and, of like, my car. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we yeah. couldn't get any air conditioning at all. And it was over 100
1: degrees outside. So what? here's what Damien has tweeted so far. I'm going to read a few of his tweets. Um, he said the state of Arkansas has ruled that they will not allow DNA testing to be done that could identify the murder of Michael Moore, Christopher Byers and Stevie Branch. This is a great disappointment to us and traumatic as well, but we will continue to press forward. Then he said the judge refused to allow any recording devices into the courtroom in order to prevent the outside world from witnessing what was being done. And then he says he'll discuss the entire trip on a live stream. I haven't gotten to watch that live stream. Well, we can link it down below if it's Mm -hmm. still available. I believe it's on his Patreon. So then he said what we saw at the DNA hearing was more of the same corruption we've seen from day one on this case, this time carried out by a judge named Tonya Alexander, who was pointlessly abusive towards supporters, even forcing them to stand in 100-degree heat. Judge Tonya Tonya, admitted in court that one of her concerns about this case is that it is happening during an election year. What? Whoa. (laughs) Oh. I don't like that. No. Then he tweeted... The state of Arkansas believes that if it can make things miserable and unproductive as possible, we'll give up and we can um, keep the corruption and actual murder hidden. We're not going anywhere. And the appeal is already being written. Um, He also made a, a list. Well, someone had made a list of what had happened outside of the courtroom. And he did thank everyone who showed up for showing up, but he said the West Memphis courts had moved the hearing to a smaller courtroom. The West Memphis courts lied and said the courtroom was at capacity and would not allow a small handpicked group, 11 people picked by the defense team in the courtroom. The West Memphis courts and police would not allow any of the hundreds of supporters to wait in their vehicles. If anyone got in their vehicle, they were forced to leave. Mind you, it was 100 plus degrees outside. We have tears of rage, but we will wipe them away and continue fighting. The fight is not over. And then finally, the judge says that if we wanted to test the DNA, we should not have taken the Alford plea. She even tried to shame me for it. The only problem with that reasoning is the number of men I knew on death row who were asking for DNA testing up until the moment they were executed.
0: Also, they didn't have this DNA in their. Um, it wasn't turned over to their defense. Like it wasn't like they didn't test it. They didn't it, have it, right? They didn't have it originally. No, and they didn't have the DNA test when that they, they took the Alford plea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, when they
1: when they took the Alford plea, yeah, we couldn't. They we didn't have this technology available. It's really. It's but also,
0: they didn't even have this evidence to test. Yes, they did. Even if oh, they had this. Yeah,
1: they did. They in had it hands. in. Uh, yeah, they started the testing ah. in two thousand seven. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, so it was weesh. insanely
1: frustrating. Um that entire day and just like the energy around was just like so This is where I kind of
0: wanted to touch on the other stuff. They just want them to walk away being like yeah. you're out. You're yeah. not getting exonerated. Like just walk away. Yep. Yeah.
1: So This is where I kind of wanted to touch on the other suspects in this case. We've already talked about Bojangles in the first part. I feel like we went into as much detail as you can on it since he's never been identified. Mm -hmm. Um, So strange. I know. But before we get into Terry Hobbs and the DNA that linked him, I did want to touch on John Mark Byers. He's a stepfather of uh, Christopher Byers. And Christopher Byers had the most injuries laid on his body, mm-hmm. um, including, like, the skinning of his genitals and um, removal of his testicles as well. Like, it was just horrific injuries to him. Mm-hmm. So if you watch Paradise Lost, John Mark Byers is a very interesting man to watch. He's a bit of a character. He's very loud and boisterous and um, huge, tall man. Um, and he acted in a way that the public would just not expect someone to act who's, child had been killed however that's dangerous territory to get into because it's leading into the reason why damien
0: and crew was you know accused yeah they they didn't act how they were supposed to act so Mm -hmm. it's hard to make a judgment on someone's behavior and to that point investigator gitchell who we talked about
1: at length wonders if people are accusing mark byers now that paradise loss has come out he was talking about um, that series of uh, possibly having something to something do with this are the same people that say Damien and Jason and Jesse are in jail because of their looks and their actions. Are we accusing Mark because he's boisterous and is weird and is a big guy, but let me, let me get into why that's not the case. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, man. Um, so Mark was a jewel jeweler. Okay. He owned his own jewelry shop and there was, there's a lot that there's a lot from that, but before we get into the crimes that he's done, a lot of people at the time when now they mostly suspect that the injuries done to Christopher Byer's testicles and everything else, they believe that that was animals um, mm-hmm. attacking the mm-hmm. body. However, um, at the time they thought that the murderers had did this, which also led into the satanic panic theory. And a lot of people pointed out that it would take some sort of accuracy to have done that to um, Christopher. And they all kind of pointed to him being a jeweler as someone being as capable of doing that. Yeah, with the preciseness. Yes. Now, (laughs) the boys also had bite marks on their bodies. Oddly enough, Mark had all his teeth removed
0: about four years after the murder. What? I know. That's so strange. I wonder what Mm -hmm. the reason is. I mean, there could be a normal reason, but... That's... I don't think there was. I think the, the dent, I, I don't know why he had them
1: all removed and had dentures put in hmm. all of them. It's wild. That's really strange, but yeah. okay. Worse. I know. Or Yeah. Chris's autopsy showed an imprint of a belt buckle on his back that Mark had inflicted on him when he acted up. Now oh. Mark testified that he hit him the day of the murders two to three times the defense failed to emphasize how there were multiple old scars on chris chris had two on his face one on his chest and an undetermined few on his legs oh there was a neighbor that recounted a more horrific beating of Chris. Um, they said, one of the times I went to hang out at Ryan's, Chris's brother. It seems um, like one of the first times. Mm-hmm. Ryan and I were going up the stairs to play Nintendo. Mark was beating the crap out of Chris, who was either already naked or had shorts on down to his feet. Mm. Mark was cursing Chris and hitting him everywhere with, I think, a belt. I nudged Ryan on the way up the stairs with a crazy look, and he said something like, don't worry about that. It happens all the time. Eek. Something in that region anyways. Mark stated somewhere in his yelling at Chris that it was because Chris had left a toy on the stairs. We were up in Ryan's room for a while, and when we came back down, Chris was covered in whelps and no longer crying Maybe he passed out or gave up or something. At that point, the poor kid was sweaty and completely naked. It was really bad.
0: Oh, that's horrible. That's horrifying. Yeah. And it's
1: hard because there were several times in watching Paradise Lost, I had a lot of sympathy um, for John Mark Byers. And reading stuff like that is where my like sympathy for him just drops off.
0: Oh, it's hard to keep it separate. You know, it's hard uh, to say, like, you're a terrible shitty parent for using corporal punishment, like, yeah, doesn't mean you murdered the three boys. It just makes you a shitty person for using corporal punishment, but it's just so hard to to keep them separate. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid scale solar energy in Ohio and
1: and like not even just like it's not even like he's just hitting him on the ass it was like like no it's like brutal That's, like a brutal yeah. like a belt buckle to your child right <sighs> so worse yet during the filming of paradise lost john mark byers gifted a folding knife to the filmmakers the knife appeared what? to have blood on it now it was a folding knife and it was yeah. in the crease of the of Ooh. the knife it's somewhere you wouldn't think to wash with like that blood would get so they turned it immediately over to the police now at that time i mean it's still in the 90s this was still during like the trial right Mm -hmm. so they didn't have the dna that we have now like the capabilities so they were able to just test and see if the blood matched and the blood not only matched john mark byer's blood but also christopher byer's blood yeah Yes, but unfortunately, and they're testing in the 90s, they destroyed that blood sample, so we will never be able to test it again with the f- future, like... It just matched their blood types? or Because they couldn't match them at that point, yeah. At that point in time, yeah. Oh, So, at that point... They also did question Mark on the stand about it. So, but... geez, Louise. Then, on March 29th, 1996... Mark's wife, Melissa Byers, Chris's mom, would die of undetermined causes. Mm. No. It, like, gets crazy. This case gets fucking wilder
0: and wilder. What's wild is there's so many plausible suspects. There's, like, enough suspects that you could, like... Investigate forever. It's not like a shortage of suspects.
1: And the and the frustrating thing at the time is the police didn't even look into the fucking parents because they had their goddamn narrative. So they had their narrative. They were going with this narrative, and they didn't even look into the parents.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's like
1: the most because because as we know, like you know, yeah. the husband always did it. it. It's the ones closest to you that commit these kinds of crimes. So
0: Militia. they should at least start there. Like we talked about. Oh That's yeah, a great place to start. The people yeah. closest to you, and especially when there's known. Like it's abuse now, corporal punishment at best back then. But like when there's other people saying, Hey, like I've seen this kid get beat. Like, yeah, that would be a great place to start. Yeah, absolutely wild. So John Mark's wife,
1: Melissa, um, she was only 40 years old at the time of her death. Now, it was a little after 5 p.m. that evening when John Mark called Norm Metz, who was also one of the last people to see Melissa alive. And Mark asked him to come over, saying that he couldn't wake Melissa up. Now, Norm responded and asked why he hadn't called an ambulance yet. Byers said, well, come over, come through the kitchen door. What? So this is investigator notes. So the investigator says Mets advised that he went to the buyer's residence and went inside through the door leading from the carport and saw the buyer's son, Ryan Clark, and his girlfriend nude on the
0: couch. Yeah. And, and there's
1: 5 and p.m.
0: Yeah. And his mom, it's Ryan's mom, too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is unconscious? Yeah. This is strange. Very
1: strange. He advised he went immediately to the bedroom and saw that Melissa was totally naked, lying on the far side of the bed on her back. He advised her mouth was open, her eyes were closed, and she was totally limp, and her arms were down by her side. Metz advised he checked for a pulse, lifted her eyelids, looked at her eyes, and he told Mark that he was going to call EMS. Her death was originally called in po- into police as a suspicious death. Officers originally thought, even with the lack of physical trauma to her body, that it was a possible homicide. So they
0: write <laughs> off. They're like, it's mm. strange that she's just there naked at 5 p.m. Like no one's concerned. Like people are home, you know, yeah. they're not calling EMS right right away. It's very yeah. odd. It's odd.
1: So a visual observation of buyer's body, and this may be the reason they didn't call EMS right away. So mm-hmm. um, a visual observation of her body revealed IV puncture marks on the top and right and left of her foot on the inside of her right wrist on the upper right thoracic area, the right thoracic puncture mark and the right wrist puncture mark were both covered with band-aids. The puncture marks on the top of her right and left foot were not covered. The victim had a silver colored necklace and cross around her neck. So she did have a long standing addiction to heroin. Mm-hmm. The drug Dalotted was also found in her system. This is a narcotic for moderate to severe pain, but it's also one of the most popular drugs in the illegal market. Yeah. Now, according to a woman who had known the buyers for years, the couple had recently become estranged. And also, Mark Byers has said multiple times that he's been told before to leave his wife because of her heroin addiction. I think even one of the rehab guys said she's just not going to get better. Mm -hmm. Um, Now this is back to the police notes that day when Mets returned to the room. Wit wrote, Ryan was trying to help John Mark put some pants on Melissa. And he asked John Mark if Melissa was dead. He, he advised that John Mark advised no. And Ryan had a funny eerie look on his face he advised that when the EMTs got to the residence, Mark kept telling them she's, they've got to bring her back. Metz advised that Ryan kept mumbling something and he did not seem coherent. He advised that when Ryan left, he almost flipped the car over. He left so fast, spinning his wheels out on the gravel. According to Witz Nose, when Metz or excuse me, when Metz later joined Mark Byers at the hospital, Mark told him that he was afraid Melissa had overdosed on a drug in the streets of Memphis. Metz advised that buyers told him it could be bought for $50 on the street. He told him the name of the drug. Metz could not remember it, but thought it started with the letter D. Metz advised that John Mark also told him that he thought her death was a drug overdose and that they were going to accuse him of smothering her.
0: What? And anyways, that you, um, sorry, if you're a true crime junkie, we already know you can prove when somebody's been smothered. Um yeah, and if yeah, and especially an versus overdose. a drug overdose, like any toxicology report would show that. Yeah. Especially if it's uh anything like opium, dilated, like all of that's gonna show. Um, yeah. um that's her, bizarre her too. Her that of, he's like, hey, I didn't smother her. Yeah,
1: and her cause <laughs> of death has never been determined. Now John Mark's dead now, but yeah. her cause of death was never determined.
0: That's, what was Ryan's weird? deal with that whole thing. What a what I don't bizarre know. behavior.
1: I know. I know. Also, John would know the street value of a drug because he'd been a drug dealer for yeah. years. I won't get into the list. That man has a laundry list, and so did Melissa, of crimes as long as my arm. They had tons of yeah. uh, robbery, burglary, like drug charges. They had a hell of a lot. And, oh, also, Mark had also witnessed, I believe it was two neighborhood boys start um, a fight and he wanted them to continue fighting. So he held a rifle to them while he watched them fight in the streets and he had charges against him for that as well.
0: Oh my God. Yeah. So there's
1: a lot going on here that police could have possibly caught in 93 that they did not.
0: And was any of this presented by the defense in the trial? Like I know it's not the defense's um, objective to say like, Hey, here's the other suspects, but they're, like, trying to prove reasonable doubt. Well, the
1: knife was, and he was questioned on the stand about the knife. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that was in Damien and uh, Jason's trial that he they were trying to bring doubt, you know what I mean, into. But, no. But what about, was, like, the abuse or, I mean, the, like, the beatings? Yeah, no. He was never, like, questioned about this. And and none of the, like, Terry Hobbs, who his DNA. Yeah. Like, he wouldn't be questioned until, I believe it was... 2007, which is the year that they found the DNA, and 93 was when the boys were murdered. So just, wow. like, shit police work going on here. Absolutely
0: shit. Like, no matter what. Not to like, mention, okay. Terry Hobbs was, like, already suspicious. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. We're just probably going to um, jump ahead to this part. Like, yeah. he was suspicious to me because he didn't call anybody about the boys missing. Right? Yeah. It's, like, way, way, way delayed. Oh. <laughs> and it's, like, from a payphone or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's wild. So let's jump into that because with even with all of this, John Mark himself, knowing these allegations, he would claim he was the biggest red herring in this case. He he was very aware that he had become a – and that's (laughs) kind of where – so he was viscerally hateful towards Damien, Jesse, and Jason as naturally, like, let's say devil's advocate. Like, he knew nothing about, you know, the murders or anything else. Like, you would be as a parent – You you would think they did kill your kids and like what the police are telling you and um, he hated them. And then, by, I mean, he was friends with that. He's walked the red carpets with them. He does not believe that they killed Christopher at all. And neither do any of the other parents except for Terry Hobbs. Terry Hobbs is convinced that those three young men are guilty. Right. Um. So Terry Hobbs was the stepfather of Stevie Branch, married to Pamela Hobbs, who we spoke extensively about in part one. Mm -hmm. He's also the stepfather whose DNA was found in those shoelaces. So the night the boys disappeared, (laughs) remember Stevie had gone out to ride bikes. We talked about this in the first part with the boys um, and was told to be home by 430. No later than that. But he never returned. Now, unfortunately, his mother had to go to work that night. Terry drove her to work, but on their way, they drove by the Moores house to see if the boys were out there, but it was to no avail. Didn't see any of the boys, right? Drops Pam off by 5 p.m. Pam does not know until 9 p.m. that her son is missing. Then... According to a 2009 statement from Terry's friend, David Jacoby, because remember, for some fucking reason, the West Memphis Police Department didn't give a shit to look at the parents in the first place in 93. Mm-hmm. But according to this, um, according to David, Terry and Amanda, because remember, Pam had a daughter as well. Amanda, right. I think she was about four years old. They arrived at David Jacoby's house at some time, he says, between 5, 530. Could have been as late as 6. It's a mess. I mean, it's 2009 when he's trying to recall this. Also, there's a lot of inconsistencies in David Jacoby's statement. Also, who else had DNA on the scene there? It's weird. <sighs> yeah. So he also believes he saw Stevie on his bike on the street in front of his house and the other boys with him. He said one of the boys was riding a skateboard. He's the only one that can testify that, or is that saying that he saw them? Yeah. Yeah. Well, not the only one I'll get into. There's another person that saw them. But yeah, so they played guitars, him and uh, Terry and uh, David, for about an hour, David says, until Terry left around 6, 630 to go see if Stevie was home because he, quote unquote, needed to be home before dark. David's then 90% sure that Terry left Amanda with him while he went to go look for Stevie. Were
0: they on drugs? Like, why is he 90% sure? I mean, this is, you know, um, you don't know. Yeah. But it's, I
1: mean, it, it is like years later. It's 2009, okay. but this is a pretty big, this is a pretty big night. I would think you would remember what was going on, but I haven't had to recall. I luckily haven't had a situation like this happen. So he is then Terry is then unaccounted for. <laughs> I know from 630 to 9 PM that night, just totally unaccounted for so reportedly, he then came back to David's before picking Pam up, where like to pick Amanda up and everything else, right? Where David asked if Stevie had come home, and Terry said no. So they both went out driving for ten to fifteen minutes looking for Stevie, just mm-hmm. for ten to fifteen minutes. But by mm-hmm. now, the entire community was out looking for those boys because remember, Chris Christopher Byers' father, John Mark Byers, so yeah was the first to call into police and his report was done about eight 30 ish that Mm -hmm. night. So this is the issue because Terry would later claim that, that, that gap of time that he's unaccounted for. He had been out looking for all of the boys searching with Mark Byers and Dana Moore, Saying this happened, he started looking at about 6 p.m. that night, right? Only issue is, is that Byers didn't finish filing that police report until about 8.30. And they hadn't all started going, the community hadn't started going out yet.
0: So nobody would be knowing to look. Like he didn't even know they were missing. Yeah. And he's like looking. His his account was that he was looking.
1: Yes. And he was not because both John Mark Byers and Dana Moore have said they did not see Terry Hobbs at all during this period. But Yeah. You know who did see him? Oh, no. (laughs) Reportedly a neighbor... But the police didn't ask anyone anything, right? Like uh. so the that neighbor had thought they had gone around and asked everyone of consequence, everything else, and they didn't know what Terry had said until the Paradise Lost series came out and everything else, where they saw that then Terry. They start adding it up. Then they, they start, start adding it up. Comparing. So wow. They start saying that Terry um has started saying that he hadn't seen the boys at all that evening. And they were like, no, 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 because we saw his Terry that night around 6:30. So they say that. And they were in the same neighborhood. They say that they saw Terry Hobbs yelling at the boys to come home. The boys supposedly went towards him. Meanwhile, Stevie's aunt says that Terry came home and was cleaning, cleaned Stevie's room and did laundry. What? And she noted that this was weird because he's not the type of guy to help his wife out with housework. No, that's strange. So, there's a lot. There's a lot of... I I. I don't even have the time today to list all the inconsistencies between Terry Hobbs' statement and David Jacoby's statement. But what I can tell you right now is Terry told Pam Hobbs that it was time for her to let go of her son's murder and that she needed to move on. And she told him that it felt like she was still living in that ditch. And as sure as her son was, she was trying to claw her way out the best way that she knew that she could. Obviously, Terry told his, his wife that? Yep, yeah, to let it go. Whoa! Yeah. So she is now convinced, absolutely mm. convinced, that Terry Hobbs is the murderer of her son and the other two boys.
0: Um, I can see why. Yeah, his his behavior is beyond suspicious. So um i don't remember if you were in the session or not i just have my notes actually Mm -hmm. yeah both of us were in this one right so from from crime con because mm -hmm. jim uh, my notes are jim clemente is an fbi profiler he interviewed terry hobbs like very um lightly because of course terry hobbs could have hung up at any time so he's like treading lightly Mm
1: -hmm. and these
0: are the notes that i had from that he's using like language like my wife and i instead of we like he's like very his language is like separating himself from um her i mean Mm -hmm. that's kind of incriminating yeah um and he's saying well i'm a parent or as a parent like a lot of times to kind of get garner that sympathy um from him being a parent but he's actually Mm -hmm. a step-parent and he's just trying to like use that inclusive language almost yeah um and these are all things like yes like looking at him as a suspect the fbi profiler was like pointing these things out Um, obviously talked about his timeline like that makes no sense Um, where he was like supposed to be versus where he's saying he was. Um, This one stuck out to me a lot. If you recall, he called in his report and uh, from Catfish Island. Yeah. And he's saying like, let's meet here instead of meet me at my home. Like my, my son's missing. You know, he, the FBI profiler pointed out like, why wouldn't you be trying to get home? Like, anyone whose child is missing like for years, even sometimes does not move. They're like, yeah. we didn't cancel our phone number. Cause we want so-and-so well, to come home. Like the, he wasn't it, worried yeah. about him, about Stevie coming home. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing
1: about Dana Moore. Dana Moore could not have possibly seen Terry that night because she was the parent that stayed home while John Mark went out looking for their child or not. Yeah. John Mark, excuse me. Her husband went out looking for that child. So uh, that's, that's suspicious. The thing. It's very suspicious. He was not seen looking. He he was not looking for Stevie. That he was not looking from the
0: whole He thing. wasn't worried about being home in mm. case Stevie showed up at home. He's like, oh, mm. just meet me at Catfish Island to take my report. Yeah, and I think they asked him why, and he was like, um, because they just wanted to stay put and come and have them come and get the report. Like it didn't make sense mm. to me. I don't remember why he his justification for why meet at Catfish Island. Um. There was like other details um, regarding like the sexual assault part. He was like, Oh, I just don't want to know. And I'm sure like no one wants to know those details. There's, but then he would say things like he just wants to know why. And like, try to kind of like reframe it as like back to the um, like satanic panic. Like he, if he could ask them one thing, like who killed his son, he just, he would just want to know why. Yeah. Um, and then this is like the clincher for me. So he was like really dramatically opposed to DNA testing. Do mm-hmm. you remember this? He said, yeah. um, about his, because basically, obviously they have the DNA, te- they have the DNA against him. Uh, well, they have his DNA found. Um, he said he wanted all of the, all of the evidence tested or none of it. And, If the evidence is burned today, well, then the case is closed. (laughs) It's like, um, no, everyone else wants to know who so we can have justice for the boys, not just Let's yeah. just close the case. And that's something that takes me off. I've so had precious. Yeah, I've had a couple people um,
1: reach out. so I did a TikTok on this, and that's something that kind of pisses me off about this case. Like somebody said they were like, well, if um, uh, Damien and Jason and Jesse aren't guilty, why wouldn't they be out pounding the pavement looking for the guy? They are. They are, they're trying to get themselves exonerated. They are, I mean, Jesse, not so much. I think Jesse's just kind of hiding from this whole thing, which honest to God, don't blame him. I think he's just trying to move on? Because Um, it seems like the, the, The
0: odds are really long. Oh,
1: my God. Damien is pounding the fucking pavement trying to get this sorted out. And I'm sure it is because he almost died because of this whole situation. Um, But, yeah, it's absolutely boggling to me that the police didn't look at the parents first. And Terry Hobbs has still, to this day,
0: never been a person of interest. That's nuts to me. And look at the other cases we've covered where convicted murderers are like, can't we just move on? Yeah. Yeah. That flippant attitude towards like, it happened. Like, no, we're we're not just going to burn the evidence or just walk away. That doesn't make any sense. That's just really a flippant attitude towards the case
1: yeah and it is interesting you were talking about terry's thoughts towards the dna evidence and all or none what's interesting he's had so many conflicting statements about that because when it came to this trial coming up he was like yeah run it all like i don't care kind of thing he was Mm -hmm. very flippant about it but i don't know if it's just because i mean you could even tell in that interview that we saw at CrimeCon, he was very like fucking done you know like he didn't really want anything and i i mean if he i mean if he is innocent like how can you blame him you kind of want to just kind of be out of it but it's it's interesting there's a lot of things that just don't add up about him um did you know he also had a lawsuit against the dixie chicks no <laughs>
0: Why? Because they're speaking out on this case. Yeah, because of their involvement in that advocacy. Hmm.
1: Yeah. So one of the members of the Dixie Discon- the Dixie chicks said, "I am confident that you will see the DNA evidence as irrefutable, and that these three men did not get the kind of trial that is promised to us as Americans." And he filed a defamation suit against oh. her, and he lost it. Um, he had to pay all of her legal fees. Geek. Um, Oops. but yeah, it. Uh, I don't know. The whole thing's very interesting. He also has a bit of a laundry list of issues um but terry and pam uh were separated she left him in 2002 and they were divorced by 2004 i also saw a report and i'm not sure if it's 100 percent correct so i want people to let me know in the comments um but someone had reported that uh terry had been on stevie's grave like tombstone mm-hmm. and his name has been removed so oh, yeah interesting Very interesting, but I don't know why a stepfather would be on unless he was like, I don't know. I don't know their family situation. So that was just interesting. That's That's why I
0: questioned it. Um, Well, in regards to the DNA testing, it just seems like it would give, it's not an open case. I guess that's probably why it's also not treated the same as it would have been if they would have tested everything or had the technology back in the day. Mm -hmm. Um, But you would think that, testing everything would give investigators or prosecutors or everyone involved like more information to work with yeah to c- include people exclude people yeah um, but
1: unfortunately the case is closed but it's yeah of- it's not a case <laughs> right now <laughs> so annoying because this is the harm that wrongful convictions bring it's not only just because the parents had to face all of those appeals especially Even before they even considered the boys being not guilty, you know, and now they feel, especially since the DNA evidence has been run, that they are not guilty. And everybody's still fighting for whoever did this to be held accountable. Um, And it's so frustrating because now you're working against the state and the legal system takes forever. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. I know for myself, since transitioning to a working-from-home environment, the importance of taking care of your own mental health. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You'll be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Now, it's not a crisis line, and it's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online. The service is available for clients worldwide, and you can log into your account anytime, day or night, to message your therapist. It's more affordable than traditional in-person therapy, and financial aid is available. You can visit their website and read other clients' testimonials that are posted daily.
0: Visit betterhelp.com I-T-T, that's better H-E-L-P, and join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional.
1: And for listeners of Innocent Told Tipsy, you can go to their website and get an additional 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com ITT. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot ITT. So... As of right now, Damien Eccles is fo- focusing um, all of his energy into having the law changed in Arkansas. So hopefully this DNA evidence will be run in the future. I, that's kind of where we're at now. It's still very current. It's still obviously influencing the media, Stranger Things, everything else. Like. Satanic Panic is still alive and well. And I think because I've been Googling it so much, my TikTok for you page has been showing me <laughs> more and more. Generation Z is really starting to believe that there are spirits out there like influencing like the Travis Scott concert, like I said. And they're, oh, uh, at the Roe versus Wade, someone saw a shadow passing through the crowd and all the comments were, this is a spiritual battle. And I was like, really? It's <laughs> a, a lot. There's we- a lot. So- I don't know. Um, We'll link um, Damien's Patreon below just even if you want to see his live. Um, Interesting. mm -hmm, I'm not sure. Like I asked uh, Jason's friend how we could support, like what we could do. And he said right now it's just focusing on that law change. He said they've got a few things they're working on, but that's kind of all. So make sure you're still continuing to follow up on this case. It's still extremely important. The killer of Michael Moore, Stevie Branch, and Christopher Byers is very much still a free person. Um, Very concerning. Uh, And it's concerning when... Because this can happen to anyone. It's insane that you could commit murder and get away with it. Yeah. And that you could go to jail for 18 years for a crime that you did not commit. And you were Mm -hmm. a teenager when you went in. And then, like, Damien, I mean, he has a whole book on how... how shocking it was to come out of prison. And he he literally had been in, um, it's not isolation. What is it called? Um, When you're like all by yourself in the, why can't I? Solitary. He'd come out of solitary and then right back in normal, normalcy. Yeah. How are are you supposed to process that? So yeah. Wow. Yep. So for now, that's our series on West Memphis three. If there's any updates. We'll be could sure be years it. could <laughs> yeah. be freaking year. could be never honestly yeah um but yeah i feel bad like we don't right. have a wine to review this stuff. i know
0: sorry guys <laughs> um, we'll do better I mean, next time <laughs> next week <laughs> so, yeah we've already got that film so
1: yes the cake piece of cake true um
0: but yeah all right, all right. until Thanks. next time yeah. cheers cheers A Huda Media Production.